to our third episode. Today we're talking about labels. So as human beings, we have to label things. That's how we communicate and understand each other. A rose is a rose, a dog is a dog, a human is a human. So labels on their surface are useful and make sense. But what we're talking about today is labeling human beings. And when we're using labels for human beings, usually that's not a good thing. It doesn't feel good to be labeled. I bet you can think back into a time in your life when you were labeled. So even as a white girl growing up, I got labeled often. I was really smart and I often got labeled a dork or a nerd, not surprisingly. Those ones never really bothered me. I got labeled a tomboy often because I was always in the dirt and I was really strong and I liked to play. That didn't really bother me either. But sometimes there were other labels that didn't feel so good. The girls in my class weren't very nice to me and so I had a lot of guy friends, mostly growing up. Boys tended to be more nice to me and we liked to play. Uh, play on the monkey bars, you know, that kind of stuff. And when I was in high school, before I'd ever even kissed a boy ever in my life, at some point, the girls decided to label me a slut. So certainly that didn't feel good. So yeah, I don't know if you can think back to a time in your life when you were labeled, but I imagine that you can feel into that and see that labels just don't feel good. So today we're really going to dive deep into labels and what they're like, what they mean, how they're used, and how that affects us as human beings and as a society. Right now we're going to jump right into a discussion that I had with my partner Taj. Uh, We'll talk about why this episode was inspired to be created and um, talk about some of the work that we do and how labels play a role in that work. And then uh, he'll talk about his perspective on labels as a sociologist and his perspective on labels uh, as they have occurred for him and for others in his time behind bars. So let's jump right in. This call is from a correction facility and is subject to monitoring and recording. Thank you for using GTL. Hello, love. Hello? Hello, love. Hello. Hello. My wonderful partner. How are you? (laughs) Excited to be a guest once again. (laughs) So yeah, I'm excited too. I think you will be a guest uh, quite often. (laughs) Yeah, I feel like there might be some nepotism involved. I don't think I'm that interesting. (laughs) (laughs) I do. (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) (laughs) So, are you ready to talk about labels? Mr. Sociologist. (laughs) Yeah, so um, as you know, this episode uh, was born in my mind because of the work that we do with the Humanization Project and observing people who, even though they are trying to be advocates for people behind bars, uh, people are using words like prisoner, inmate, felon convict, um, all those kinds of things, and we believe that 
people first language is important because when we label something then it enables people to act as that person is other than us and so we're very passionate about this but I just kind of wanted to do this episode to talk about that a little bit more because I think we can explain it really quickly like I just did but there's really kind of a lot to it and I know you know a lot about this so (laughs) um let's start here I remember when you first got locked up just being your friend then before our relationship um and before the humanization project obviously I remember for me uh how I I knew I could never call you any of those things because in my mind you know you were one of my best friends you weren't any of those things and I remember when I would hear those words how it would make me cringe in my soul and I wonder from your perspective how how did those words feel to you, um, you know, when you first got locked up and, and now? Of course, none of us want to think of ourselves in terms of pejorative categories. And that's the starting point here is that to anybody hearing the word, so... You, you said convict. That one's gone out of style. And fel- or, I mean, felon has kind of gone out of style in most people's yeah. lingo. But convict, offender, prisoner, and inmate are all still regularly used. And even if you're not in here, not a single one of those, even before I was in here, not a single one of those conjures up any positive images. Right. They are one-dimensional terms that imply that the entire body of whomever you're talking about's existence revolves around whatever act they committed to put them in prison. And nobody's life is that simple. And so, of course, I, you know, I've already had this kind of sociological understanding and I've spoken, and I'm sure we'll get to, about labels much beyond this. But um, coming in here, uh, the language that's used officially has switched to offender. That's their supposedly toned down way of discussing this. But if you think of what is the word offender mean? It means somebody who offends. You are saying I am, everybody in here is inherently offensive. So no, of course we come in and we get all our orientation stuff that they do in the first first week and you, offenders this, offenders that. I'm, you know, I have certainly been a smart ass in my life, but I'm at this point one of the least offensive people I know. Yeah. And, well, I mean... And, and so there is that sense. Yeah, and in your case, one of the things that I always had a problem with was, you know, you didn't do most of what you were accused of, and so I'm like, you're not. <laughs> you didn't offend anyone. <laughs> yes, and it, yeah, and you're right. The, the label carries a presumption of guilt. Right. Absolutely. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And, and culpability, and, and no room for improvement. Right. And, uh, and, and it's funny, though, because in here, the, the, those terms all have different meanings, and they don't, mm-hmm. they, they get, none of them are positive, even in this community. None right. of us refer to each other according to those, of, unless we're trying to be othering other people in here, which yeah. is, you know, we try not, I try not to do, obviously, yeah. but... They all have, and they have individualized meanings that are a little more nuanced than out there in the world, but uh, 
inmate is somebody who is basically is the their attitude. If you refer to somebody, that's an inmate over there. That's somebody who comes in with the screw the world. I'm not doing anything for anybody, and I'm not helping out anybody in here. I got in here by myself, and I'm going to do this time by myself, and I'm not doing nothing for nobody. Mm-hmm. Uh, you've got offender. That term is kind of because it's the way it's it's a new term, and it's their soft way of doing it. It's kind of reflective of the new school, which is generally you would put under the people that are. It is used to describe people that are young and knuckleheads is another way to describe them and they often are gang of... So the phone cut out, which is the thing that happens sometimes when you're talking on a prison phone. And the thing about prison is that I can't call him back. In fact, I can't call him ever. I can't text him. There's nothing I can do to get an immediate answer to figure out what's going on. So we'll wait a while. I'm sure he'll call back. And is subject to monitoring and recording. Thank you for using GTL. Hello, love. Uh, what terrible timing. What happened? All the phones stopped working at once and just got, this one just got going again. Oh. Yeah, it was like, it didn't just hang up, it was like you got quiet and then it was nothing. <laughs> yeah, well, I kept talking. <laughs> How long did you talk? <laughs> I don't know when it cut off, but you were definitely like I said something funny and you didn't laugh, and I was like, "Oh, hello, hello." who are behind bars and you said um, inmate and then you said offender and you were explaining how they were kind of the younger guys who were a little knuckleheadish and that's when it cut off. Uh, <laughs> you said a lot yeah. after that, didn't you? <laughs> yeah, I sure did. Welcome to, welcome to the vagaries of the prison system. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> Just think, if this is your only way to communicate with Everybody. Yeah. Um, <laughs> uh, so yeah, the uh, so I explained it. I explained inmates. Offenders are as I was. I don't know if I got to the, if you caught this part or not, but they're basically like they're like uh, prison millennials. Uh, <laughs> they they don't they can't do anything on their own, and they're real needy emotionally and hypersensitive and. They have to, you know, they're often gang affiliated, but if they're not, then they can still have their little friend of, crew of friends they can't do anything without. Mm. And then prisoners are people who are, well, you use the term in here to describe somebody as a prisoner, you're basically saying they're whiny. They are somebody who all they talk about is the fact that they shouldn't be here and, you know, how terrible it is here and how unjust. And while it's often the case, they don't, it's just, you know, a way of describing somebody who doesn't move forward mm-hmm. uh, and just complains all the time about it, about their, their station in life. And so, again, derogatory, even within here. And then you've got convicts. That's the old school people, the people that, 
uniquely derogatory connotations in here. And then I was schooled on all of this by this guy when I first got to uh, prison. Not very first, but mm-hmm. shortly thereafter, we were kind of discussing all this, and he was explaining this, and he's like, but then there's this fifth category, and that's that's a man. And that's what we should all strive to be. Mm-hmm. And that's that's kind of, it, it inspired me. It was very insightful the way he described it, and it was funny because he, you know, used all of his, his prison experience and tones to explain it, but... Mm-hmm. It was also kind of the inspiration for the humanization project. Like, it really, like, even in here, we need to not think of ourselves as only these one-dimensional mm-hmm. understanding. So, uh, so of course, the getting here, you know, any of those terms become additionally unpleasant to hear now. But mm-hmm. I think, to me, ultimately, it's still worse. Um, it's still worse the way that people are and the way the media and society tend to describe people only like if somebody's ever had a conviction and they something else happens in their life that ends up in the newspaper they're inherently going to be discussed as yeah you know a, you know former inmate or convicted offender or something mm-hmm. like that and as if that has something to do often has nothing to do with um you know I there was there's times that you can really see this uh, play out in stark terms um, after Michael Vick, uh, who, you know, certainly not supporting dogfighting, but he served his time for that situation and mm-hmm. became a model model opponent against dogfighting and yeah. teaching people in the years since then. And then he made it back to the NFL, which was all sorts of resilient and was a model citizen there, winning, winning sportsmanship awards voted by his teammates, leadership awards. He was just a you know, a leader, and yeah. then somebody got shot at his birthday party, and the news coverage was immediately, former convicted felon, Michael Vick, blah, 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 and yeah. almost implying that he had something to do with it, even though he had left the party before it even happened. Yeah. Um, and it was a really stark example of how that, can, that label maintains. And yeah. so to see myself in the newspaper with that, uh, it was... Definitely, it felt like a, a, a degree of a life sentence. Yeah. Yeah, and I think it's, I, I've noticed, and this always makes me really sad uh, deep down in my soul, when uh, people behind bars are talking to me or writing to me or the Humanization Project about themselves, and they use those labels for themselves, and that, you know, it just feels like, wow, it's so ingrained that you're willing to label yourself that way. And I think that's exceptionally sad. It just shows how much we internalize our labels. Exactly. In society, and we see it as normal. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Um, human beings, this is the, the biosociology, anthropology, bioanthropology, whatever shot yeah. you want to call it, a science, but human beings inherently we have to categorize things. Right. We have to place things into categories that are easily understood in order to navigate the world. Yeah. Right? That's normal, appropriate. You, you have to make shortcuts to understand that anything that has prongs and a handle is a fork, even if they're <laughs> not all exactly the same. So you don't have to encounter each one and try to figure out what the hell it's for. Yeah, yeah. Right? We have to categorize things. But when we do it with people, 
it becomes a shortcut for judgment. It's never used in a positive way for people. Labeling right. is always a reduction yeah. of their humanity to only a few characteristics. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah, and I think we've seen um, we've seen labeling. I feel like a lot more in recent years with the current political climate and certainly there's a lot of labeling rhetoric coming down from the very top um and i think we were discussing the other day i remember when the um the immigrant caravan was coming up from central america when was that a couple years ago and the trump administration or trump himself was was labeling them and making them basically less than human. And I think, you know, it really gets at the, the crux of labeling is so that you can treat somebody differently than yourself. Don't you think? Yeah, you can actually, absolutely. It is used as a method of obtaining power because the person who places the label is inherently putting themselves in a position of power and is saying, trust me, I know these things, and therefore listen to me and, and elevate me. Mm-hmm. And you can, it's, it's, it's been used historically forever to otherize people, but especially in terms of, uh, it, it's often a, a prime example that was, if you look back at the Vietnam War, the U.S. military's position for the soldiers, because this was the first time that war was really being televised and, and seen in a more personal human light, to most people, so mm-hmm. they had to keep the soldiers still willing to fight, and obviously we know historically that was hard to do, mm-hmm. um, but one of the ways they did, they actively told instructors in uh, military training camps that they were supposed to refer to the enemy in, in dehumanizing terms such as chink, and that was actively protocol mm-hmm. to dehumanize them because that way they could be seen as something that was not or commies, or, you know, whatever the case, there were a few mm-hmm. different tr- tracks that went on, but ways of looking at them in a negative way that didn't consider them human beings, because that way you could shoot them. Right. And you see, we're not shooting Mexican immigrants today, hopefully, most of us. There are a few crazies in Nevada, I mean, Arizona and Texas that seem to want to do so, but that's another story. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, you know, but, but it's, it's essentially weaponizing the term. Mm-hmm. even if it's not actively shooting somebody. And it has led to, and you've seen, since the use of such labels became normalized by a president, so certainly there was animosity and bigotry before Donald Trump. No question about it. But the normalization of that language, that labeling language, the moment he got elected, you have seen a skyrocketing number of hate crimes in America. So there mm-hmm. is actually repercussions violent repercussions because it allows people to see people as not human beings yeah yeah and I think that just reinforces the the uh, fact that words are powerful and words create a reality yes absolutely I mean even just the even the term illegal because that's that's or even illegal immigrant although that's a little it still speaks to immigrant but what is, you're essentially defining somebody's life as illegal, and when you call somebody just an illegal or an alien, you're, you're describing 
accepting them as if they're something different than just another a human being who happened to be born somewhere else. Right. Like, there's nothing inherently wrong with trying to move to somewhere to get a better life, especially if you were happen to be born in a place in class that gave you no options. Right. Uh, there's nothing, I mean, yes, there's a law that says they're not allowed to do it without documentation, but that doesn't define who they are, the fact that they, that, that's a, a far stretch. Yeah. I just think about, you know, when they, when they were coming up, um, the way they were being described, they were talking about being criminals and these big men that were going to do whatever to the women here and all this stuff. And, and you know, you, you could have described them as fathers, sons, mothers, children. You know, you can create such a different picture by the words that you choose. And, uh, you know, that, like I said, that, that creates the reality. Yeah, no, it, 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 the words, and this is why it matters, because the words we use to describe things are the words we think in our brain, mm-hmm. even privately. Right. Like, we think in words. Yeah. So if those are the words that we're used to, that's how we think of people, and of course that's going to have an effect on our behavior. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, there's differences even in that they get woven into the way language works, romance languages, you know, French or Spanish, Italian, etc., they conjugate the the modifier after the noun. Mm-hmm. So if, they, if you're describing a black person, you're going to say a person of black. Right. Not, which makes them a person first. Right. Just the way that English does that is inherently going to put a black person, you're now saying black is before person. Right. Which should not be the case. Yeah. In how you think about people. Yeah. Um, and all this to say, and this is that actually speaks to why we're you and I have been with the Humanization Project really pushing this this notion that when we're describing people who are in, you know currently behind bars or even who have been, but they the people behind bars. Mm-hmm. That's a better way to describe them. Yeah. because that puts their humanity before the circumstance in which they're currently living. Even if it is something terrible they did, they're still a father, son, mother, daughter, partner. Yeah. They have hobbies, they have interests, they have all these things before they nobody should be defined by the worst moment yeah. of their life. Yeah. Definitely. Well, is there anything else you wanna add? to this label discussion? Yeah, I guess this is a good time to say, I mean, I guess we don't need to use labels, so you just, you're not a girlfriend, you're not a <laughs> you're not any of that stuff, right? We're not doing any labels, right? No, no, no labels. <laughs> I'm, free, I'm free, to, free to have all sorts of prison boyfriends. Uh, maybe not. Maybe not. <laughs> no, I'm kidding. Joke. <laughs> Everybody out there. Um, <laughs> you're allowed to edit that out too, love. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Uh, no, I don't. Labels, you know, we should never. Ultimately, the conclusion is in no circumstance should we ever apply labels to people and let that define how we interact with them, I think is the conclusion. Yeah, I agree 100%. Well, thanks for this, love, and uh, 
I think it's going to be a, a good discussion for the podcast. to say but also such an amazing heart and he really sticks by his beliefs and stands by his principles and I always love talking with him about things like this. One of the things we were talking about while he and I were talking, I was trying to remember this because he and I had been talking about this a few weeks ago. He mentioned to me and I I meant to say this during our, our time but I couldn't think of it. He mentioned to me that Uh, I think the current president, I think he's the president, of Argentina ran on a platform to change the words Argentino and Argentina to Argentine with an E on the end. That way the word wouldn't be gendered and, um, and it would just be the word for everyone in Argentina. I thought that was really, really interesting, showing how labels and words matter and how important he thought it was to include everyone um, with one word. Very, very interesting. Uh, You can Google and look up more about that if you're interested in in what that was all about. Right now, though, I'm really excited to have on my friend, my dear friend, one of my favorite humans in the entire world. They're a true unicorn in my mind, Uh, such a unique individual. Every time I talk to them, I just walk away energized and enthused. Dr. Tiffany Jana is the author of quite a few books now. Most recent book is Subtle Acts of Inclusion, How to Understand, Identify, and Stop Microaggressions. They also have an ebook out right now that is a book of poetry called the Mile High Poetry Club, I believe. And another one of their books, the B Corp Handbook, How to Use a Business as a Force for Good, just got an Ippy Award, which is the Independent Publisher um, Book Awards. So lots of good stuff. And kind of on the topic having to do with, with race and diversity and gender and all these things. So if you get a chance, check out their books. They're really, really great books. And can make a difference in how you live your life and how you think about the world. But I'm so excited to have Tiffany chat with me on the podcast. So get ready. They're always interesting and entertaining. And I, I hope you enjoy this chat. Well, Dr. Tiffany Jana, welcome to the blue. I'm very excited to have you here today to talk about labels. <laughs> And uh, I was just hoping you could go ahead and kind of introduce yourself uh, for our listeners. Yay. Thank you so much for having me, Jen. This is exciting. Congratulations on the podcast. Yeah, I'm Dr. Tiffany Jana. 
I uh, work in the diversity, equity, and inclusion space. I've got a 17-year-old business that does that kind of advocacy work around the world. And I've written, whew, I guess I've written six books officially now, and uh, mostly in the diversity space, but I've got a, a book of love poems that's out there now, the Mile High Poetry Club Long Distance Love Poems. <laughs> and that's the one I choose to promote right now. <laughs> um, a graphic novel that's coming out uh, pretty soon. But yes, I'm an awareness, art, uh, an awareness artist and a pleasure activist. So awareness artistry is about using any medium available to create an embrace of humanity that's wide enough to leave no one out. And pleasure activism is about using joy um, for liberation. So liberation through joy. And that is liberation of the individual mind, heart, spirit, all the way to liberating bodies that are physically not free, incarcerated, or whatever the case may be. How can we use our joy to free ourselves and free others? Beautiful. And all I can think was, as you were saying, all of that was how deliberate you are with your language about, about what you do. Um, and I always find that very, very beautiful. And you have such a phenomenal way of speaking about what you do. And I always appreciate that. So tell us just a little bit more about the diversity uh, inclusion work that, that you Yes, do. we're now calling it Jedi work. So justice, equity, diversity, and inclusion. I'm finally a Jedi. There we go. <laughs> Uh, so yeah, that work is my fo my primary focus is as a as a laboratory is the workplace. So most of my work is in helping organizations and organizational leaders really create a sense of belonging and inclusion and welcoming to all the people, all different kinds of people who show up in their in their workplaces. So uh, what we have all around the world is we see that. Uh, certain demographics are privileged, um, certain people who went to certain schools have more opportunity, and we don't see uh, an equitable representation of society having the same kind of outcomes within organizational structures. So you don't see broad representation at the board of directors level or at the leadership level. You, you see people coming in at the same level and certain people are able to get further ahead, and sometimes you can tie that to demographics, and sometimes you can't. So uh, my job is to help really put some metrics behind what is what are the differences like what are the, the the differences in the equitable treatment of people and then what are the interventions that we can put in place to help people have better experiences and you know while there's some like learning and teaching and calibrating that that is kind of scientific really this is heart space work because if you're a leader and you don't genuinely care about the well-being of the people who are doing the work for you then that's a much bigger problem so it's about helping people open their minds and open their hearts to really experience the value of each individual who, you know, enters their orbit. Wow. That's, that's such beautiful work to do. Um, tell us, since we're talking about labels today, how do labels play a role in all of that? Mm -hmm. <laughs> so in, in, if you just think about society and the evolution of just human culture, uh, we have always put people in groups, right? We started, I think the original sort of differentiation was tribal differentiation, right? This is my tribe. This is your tribe. I like my tribe. I don't like your tribe, right? And I mean, and initially, all of these things really started as a function of 
keeping each other safe and creating systems of security. And so, you know, we protect our own in order to continue to procreate and to build culture, build family, build community. And so, you know, there's lots of different things that have, have happened over history, over time in different places. But essentially, we put labels on people, one, as a way of understanding the world, but two, as a way of designating who's in and who's out. It's not, not just, oh, hey, there goes the person with the blue hair. Um, you know, we, we've created labels around like race as a classification system is actually not scientific at all. There's no blood test, skin test, hair test for race. It's a classification and race is a racist construct that was developed by white people who needed to justify some really bad behavior during a time when the Judeo-Christian ethic was the way of the day and it just didn't line up with their values. So if we could label some folks and say, oh, hey, you're a little bit less than human. So if I treat you really bad and steal your stuff, then it's okay because you're not really human and maybe we'll civilize you as a bonus. It's, all, it's justified, right? And so we, you continue to use labels to justify pushing some people down and treating them worse than others. And we are culturally indoctrinated to do this from the time we're little kids, right? We are rewarded as children when we join in picking on little Steven in the corner because he has a lisp, right? We are rewarded with laughter and social acceptance when we push someone else to the margins. And God forbid we're the one who's being pushed to the margins. Is there anyone there to come to our rescue? Mm -hmm. Yeah. I think we're seeing a lot these days uh, with labels, especially from some of our higher up politicians and <laughs> maybe one in particular. How, how does that affect us as a society today? You know, if we're labeling something, um, you know, uh, that creates a, a negative uh, idea in somebody's mind, what, what does that do for us as a society? I mean, I... I find it, it's kind of like curse words, right? And I'm not pretending I don't use them. They're very colorful. I use them a lot, right? <laughs> um, but, you know, what I like to tell my children about curse words is it's lazy, right? Curse words are lazy. You're using, you know, colorful explicatives in place of finding the actual vocabulary that is descriptive and appropriate for that moment. Labels are lazy. Labels allow us to paint situations and people with a very broad stroke and absolve ourselves of, the, of, the, of, of our guilt for treating people and thinking badly of people. And it absolves us from the responsibility of doing the very hard work of reaching out to another person, opening our hearts, listening and being present with who they really are. Good, bad, or indifferent, right? So that is like being present with a human being and allowing them to be who they are instead of being a label, being a stereotype. That is one of the most powerful things that you can do in terms of inclusion. And it requires work. Like I wish, like I've written six books and I wish that I could write one and just say, if you read this book, you'll so like never be a racist again. You'll be totally inclusive and like you will win the diversity grand prize and it will be over. But it's not like that, right? I like to use the, um, the metaphor of um, hygiene versus appendectomy, right? I can't, I can't cut out your tendency to label people. I can't cut out your racism and be like, we're done. No, it's more like hygiene. If you don't wash your stinky, nasty booty and brush your teeth every day or at least every other day, it's, it, you're not going to want to be around people because we all going to smell the fact that you didn't wash it, okay? Same thing goes for our tendency to stereotype, to label, to act on our biases. You have to work on it all the time. And so, People, it, it's easy if I label and I push you and say, you are other, you're over there, now I don't have to do work. 
because doing the work of expanding your cultural fluency is, is just that it's work and you have to be present to it and it's not easy or fun. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that's really what I'm trying to drive home in this discussion of labels is, is that creation of other. And, and you kind of touched on it at the beginning, you know, it, it, it gives people the excuse to then treat somebody differently than how they would have been treated. Can we dive in a little bit more as to how that, that kind of have been, has been historically, especially in this country around racism and slavery and, and that kind of thing? Yeah, I mean, words have power. You know, when I think of the historical treatment of the African diaspora and the transatlantic slave trade, the, you know, it, 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 is the, it is the genesis of what I call the delusion of white supremacy. Like, I don't like to use the term white supremacy uh, in isolation because words have power. And when you say that, you, you tacitly reinforce this notion that that thing is real. And it is not. It is a construct. It is a delusion. It is something that somebody somewhere wanted us to believe and we bought it as a society and continue to reinforce it whether we recognize we're doing it or not. And so historically, so you think about things like the N-word, labels are used to not only otherize people, but to put them in the place that you want them to be. So mm -hmm. if I call you the N-word, you know, and I engage in lynching and I engage in Jim Crow and I do all of the horrible things that happen to my people over time, I'm using the power of language to make sure that I ingrain in your brain that you are less than, that you belong on the bottom, and that you will never amount to anything, right? So whether we're, you know, talking to your children or talking to the your kids on the schoolyard or talking to your employees or talking to people out in the wide world, you have to be very cognizant of the words that you use. This is why like the, the conversation around um, ability, right? Ability and disability. Mm -hmm. We don't talk, we don't say someone is autistic. We don't say someone, you know, that diabetic over there. We don't name people with their, their, their whatever the circumstance, the special challenge that they're living with. We say the person with diabetes. You yeah, know? <laughs> well, sometimes people do get labeled in, in those circumstances. You know, I, I work in the, um, in the realm of, of therapeutic writing. And I've had to have conversations with volunteers and different people over the years about that uh, exact thing. And I think this, we're getting at a really, really important point as you're talking about uh, language being important on, in, a, in a tantric yogic understanding of the world. Some lineages believe that sound is the thing that's actually creating reality that the vibration is making the material world. And so if you get that deep into it, your words are actually creating a reality. It's not just that you're labeling the person, you're, you're creating the reality of them being in that position that you're labeling them in to be. And so I think your choice in the wording with um, the delusion of white supremacy is, is really key and really, really important. And I'm glad that you make that distinction and I I will can I will make that distinction myself going forward because I think that's that's really really important so I want to add on to what you said about the sound vibration making the reality because I'm totally here for that level of depth and that yeah. level of like metaphysical science right it's science um the the it's not just the sound in in the world that I believe in it is also the thought and we have scientific scientific support that goes back many many years um, when you when we think about the the studies with school children right where they tell teachers that 
this student, student A, is gifted. They are an absolute brilliant genius. They are amazing. And we need you to not treat them any differently because they're exceptional, but you need to know that that is a really gifted student. And this other student over here, oh, not so much. Like they're really, really deficient, but we need you to treat them exactly the same. In fact, we're gonna put someone in the classroom to make sure that you treat everyone the same, especially these two students. And they do it and they put someone in the room and objectively, the teacher treats these two students the same. And what they were was the two most mediocre average students in the class. Nothing extraordinary going up or going down with either student. And yep. what bears out 100% of the time is the mere thought that that student is great and that, that student is not so great changes the student's performance. Yep. The student who was labeled a genius ends up performing extraordinarily well and the student who was labeled less than performs even poorer. So, you know, the, where this overlaps with the work that I do, especially around race and identity is you know, I've been the only black kid in classes and I've had teachers not expect me to perform. I always, you know, turned it around and ended up being the best performer in the room. But for a hot second, they thought that I was not going to be sufficient. And yes. if those things are allowed to, you know, continue unchecked and we don't do the work of expanding our cultural understanding, we are causing harm with our silent labels. Yes. And I think in, in a tantric understanding, those labels in your mind actually aren't silent. We just do not hear them with our ears. Thoughts our ears. actually have vibrations. So they are contributing to, to the creation of reality. Perfect. And I mean, we can get really deep into that, which takes us away from the labeling. But, you know, there's the idea that each uh, one of us is projecting our own reality from, from our mind. And so our thought is the thing that... that you know, is literally creating everything that we're seeing in front of us. Well, I mean, it's still, it's still germane to the label conversation yeah. because like when I think about moving through the workforce and I think about moving through life with friends and family members, how many of us have been in that situation where we're having an experience, we have the whole experience together, and then we go to have a conversation about it. My, my narrative is its own label, right? I can label that experience and say, oh my gosh, can you believe that she said that and that it went down that way? Oh, that felt so icky to me. And the next person who's right next to me is like, what are you talking about? That, that was like, I totally got her. I know what she was talking about. Like two completely different realities because yes. I experienced mine in one way and labeled it one way and the other person went in a totally different direction. Yeah. It's mind boggling. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, so fun, Jen. So fun. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean, it gets really interesting when, when I think you can get in, into yoga, yogic ideas of, of letting things go and being in the present moment. And then you're like, okay, am I just not supposed to label anything? Am I not supposed to think at all? Well, why but do we really do it? It's the shortcut. Like yeah. our brains are unfortunately intrinsically lazy. And the amount of data, I mean, the amount of data that a human being took in a hundred years ago is just light years from the amount of data we're taking in now. We're even yeah. more, you know, susceptible to that labeling reflex because we've just got to process. We are expected to process so much. So in the world of coronavirus pandemic pause, this is a great opportunity for us to really like think about how we think about things because we have an opportunity to slow down and slowing down is one of the most effective um, kind of remedies we have against defaulting because it's autopilot that kills us. 
it's autopilot that that the labels are going to come out and we're going to it's not only the fact that the labels we're going to say them we're going to think them um but we're going to act on them we're more likely to act based on the stereotype based on the assumption based on the label that's convenient and available if we're moving fast if we're stressed out and if we're on autopilot so taking this time to slow down and really think about what you're thinking about so powerful yeah i think that that's a a great thing for everyone to think about and in that vein if if somebody's listening and they're you know this is resonating with them but they've never really thought about it before aside from slowing down or in the slowing down what what is the work that they can do with themselves what does that look like if somebody's wanting to say oh i'm down noticing where i'm labeling how can they step away from perpetuating labeling yeah so <laughs> so one of the exercises that i encourage people to do is to um is to make a list uh it's like you're gonna have two columns so in the left column you're making a list of you know demographic identities so different kinds of people different occupations all sorts of things mm -hmm. and then in the right column you quickly go behind each word and write down the first thing that comes to mind anything that you've heard or read or seen about said demographic so it can be teachers it can be politicians it can be white people it can be poor people it can be fat people whatever right just write down a list of labels you know gay people whatever you want to label and then write down the first thing that comes to mind it's like rapid association what that will do and the thing is if you think about it you're 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 you, you did it wrong right because if you think about it your brain is going to want to come up with something generous something nice something politically correct something appropriate no quickly go behind it right the very first thing that comes to mind because what what you'll expose is your unconscious bias what you'll expose is your you know is kind of that kind of deep-seated place around which the thing that we don't really interrogate often so that's one because until you know where you're kind of where you tend to otherize it's hard for you to get out of that space right. um, and then the, the second one is just generally questioning your assumptions right a lot of the you know the labeling and stuff that we do comes because we think we know mm -hmm. we as soon as we see a person as soon as we hear a person as soon as we meet a person within the first like six seconds we've actually made a whole bunch of judgment calls and assumptions about who this person is right like if you can see them, you're you're making judgments about how smart you think they are, how educated you think they are, you know, what class they come from, you know, if you hear their voice and you hear an accent, like if it happens to be a southern accent, some people associate that with being less intelligent or being more I mean, it's 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 absurd the number of these that we have. So um, you know, allowing yourself to stop and say, why did I put that label on that person? Like, what made me think, you know, how can I look at that person and just assume that I know that they're gay, right? How can I assume that I, I mean, and, and you know, what's a funny one is gender. Gender is one big labeling exercise around which we now know, just cause you think you know what you're looking at, <laughs> you have no idea how someone actually identifies until you ask. And that, this is one of the things I really admire about the, young generations um like my my it's uh let's see the, the folks who are like 30 and under right now i'm noticing that they are really good about using gender neutral pronouns like a lot of the time so it's basically like if you're if your identified gender or your assigned gender at birth is not germane to the narrative it's not driving the story forward then no one needs to know what it is and i get so confused sometimes when i listen i'm like why do they keep saying they is this like a 
this is this like me? Is this one of my non-binary siblings? Or it's like, no, it just the gender is not, it's not germane to the story. You don't need to know how they identify. Yeah. It's amazing. <laughs> so this brings up an interesting question in my mind. So there's labeling, and then there's self-identification, which is kind of like labeling of yourself. Labeling yourself. Hello, my name is Sticker. <laughs> but, but there's times where we like self-identifying because it feels good for us to say, I am this, I am this kind of person. And so I think people need to understand that somebody can self-identify, but that does not give you the right to put your own identification on a person. Yeah. Yeah. So, so then it gets into the question of sometimes we have to describe a person <laughs> for a purpose. So I think there's a big difference between labeling and description. And so what does that language look like for people? I feel like we could use a really silly example, potentially silly, although it's not that silly. But like we could look at you and label you a blue haired person or label yeah. me a blue haired person. As yeah. are. Um, but it would be better for somebody to say, Tiffany is a person who has blue hair. Mm -hmm. And those two things are very close in, in what it is, but it's not the label. Does right. that seem right to you? It does, it does. It's so funny because I didn't catch it and I just said it about people with disabilities, right? People, people living with disabilities, I said, say the person first. And when you said blue paired person, because hair is such a uh, values neutral identifier, I didn't catch it. Yeah. Um, so I don't, you know, I wouldn't have, I wouldn't have said this is absolutely necessary, but I think that it's, it's true. I think that we need to center the person and yeah. then, you know, if you want to add the other things, it's interesting because I remember when my children were little, um, especially this last one, she'll, she'll be 13 in a few weeks. Um, when they would describe things that happened at school with people, like they'd say, you know, like, like my little one would say, um, you know, so-and-so, Catherine did this thing and I didn't like it. And I'm like, who's Catherine? I'm trying to remember because I can't remember all 28 kids in your class. And so, you know, she'd go, you know, she's brown hair and brown eyes. And, you know, she wears the shoes that look like this. And in my brain, right, the construct that I was raised in, I'm a, I'm a Gen X millennial cusper. I'm like, is she, is she brown? <laughs> And it was just remarkable that that construct is not important to children yeah. until we make it important. Yeah. We've decided as a society that this is a label that matters, so we're going to use it. But it's like the kids are like, ah, brown, what? <laughs> yeah, that's really it's funny. My, uh, my partner, Tosh, he's, he's very conscious of these things. And he will do that to me. And like, he'll be describing somebody who he's interacting with and, and he's, doing this description and I'm like, I can't remember what it is or whatever. And finally I'll go, are they African-American? <laughs> oh yeah. Like, oh, that guy. That helps. That yeah. helps. But, but still, you know, it's, it's good to be conscious of it. And, and it is very, you know, interesting to think about all this. Well, in service to the, what you said about the self-labeling, um, you know, I used to make a joke of it all the time because, you know, even before I did the work, but even, even more after, you know, people would ask the question very frequently, well, 
you know, what am I supposed to call, you know, brown people of color? Because, you know, some people say black and some people say African-American and I don't want to offend. What do I do? And like my joke used to be, look, I don't know what the consortium of people of color are using for a label this week. So personally, I use them interchangeably. I don't mind. You can do whatever. But that's just me. I can only speak for me. Yeah. So, you know, in the space where the, I mean, it used to just be gay and gay and straight and gay and bi. Now it's LGBTQIA plus, 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 right? Um, so this is where, again, it becomes important for you to have enough respect for the individual to understand that you gotta go to that person and yeah. you've gotta find out what works for them because you might, you know, I'm okay with black. I'm also okay with African-American. Some people, if you call them black and you don't call them African-American, they get offended. But do you know how you find that out? You gotta ask that person. It's not universal, sorry. Yeah. And I think that's a, as a great kind of place to end on is that all of this is to say, I think that we need to connect with each other more as human beings and people, and that that needs to be the first thing out of our mouth. So, um, you know, this, this desire to have this conversation about labels stemmed from labeling that goes on in, in criminal justice work, specifically with people behind bars. And so, you know, um, myself and, and our organization, the Humanization Project, we don't use the words prisoner, inmate, felon, uh, criminal, convict. We don't use any of those words. And we are very, very deliberate in saying person behind bars or person who may have committed a crime or person who, you know, has a felony on the record or something like that. Um, because just having that person first, human yeah. first, just it shifts how people feel when they hear the words that you're saying, you know, well, and I think and the, the media is really good at this. They know that really well. And so when their bias comes out and they're like quick to tell you that it's a black person, they're quick to like use all the icky labels. And then sometimes it'll be a white person who did something or, or it'll be a politician who they like very much. And suddenly they're a human with a human story. And we, and we create so much more empathy in that narrative. Come on, y'all. We see your shenanigans. Yep. Yep. And that's, that's what we're trying to shift with the humanization project for sure. But I um, love it. Yeah. Well, thank you for all this. Is there anything you want to add before we, before we go? Yes, I would, because we talked about work that is hard, right? Like I recognize that's hard. Like I'm identify as gender non-conforming. My preferred pronouns are, are they and them. I'm not offended by she. That's my story. That's only me. Um, but you know, using the, using the, they, them pronouns, they conjugate singular, just like he and she, or, they, or just how they regular, you know, how regular things con conjugate, um, yeah. not saying it's a singular thing, but it conjugates like they are right. Yeah. So yeah. they are doing things, even if it's just one person, um, you know, practice being inclusive. Uh, you know, I like to say, get, get used to the taste of inclusion in your mouth. Like with, I know people really struggle with those pronouns, but have grace for yourself is what I would want to leave with people. When you're doing any kind of work related to the, this complicated, messy people stuff, it's so important to have grace for yourself. I'm a whole diversity expert, right? I've done and so much and put so much into the space and I step in hot, steamy piles of diversity to do every day right? I get it wrong. I misgender myself often, okay? 
So have grace for yourself as you're on the journey because the journey doesn't end until you're done. And I'd like you to be around a good long time, whoever you are listening or watching um, and have grace for other people because other people are going to mess up too. And when it happens, when other people label you and you don't like it, have grace in those moments because at some point it will be you and you want to treat them as you would want to be treated. Yeah. Yeah. And I think those moments are a good opportunity uh, to connect and talk about, you know, as we go through them. So tell us before we go, where can people find all of your amazingness? <laughs> oh girl, how much time you got? All right. No. <laughs> so I'm Tiffany Jana. That's T-I-F-F-A-N-Y-J-A-N-A on all social media or most social media. Um, I think I'm Twiffany Jana on Twitter because I thought that was cute a thousand years ago when it first came out. Now I can't get rid of it. Um, but Tiffany Jana on Instagram. My company is TMI Consulting. So uh, tmiconsultinginc.com. And I would love it if you would subscribe to my channel on YouTube. My show is Life with Doc Jana. Um, and now I'm creating some, uh, some playlists that have some of my newest content and, and conversations like these with brilliant people. So Life with Doc Jana on YouTube. Um, yeah, hope to see you all out in the interweb sphere. Awesome. Well, thank you so much. Thank you. So great having Tiffany on the podcast and so great as always talking with Taj about topics that are really relevant and interesting in the world. Most of all today though, I hope that this podcast has made you think about labels and without judging yourself, just take a little time and think about where are you labeling? Where could you not label? How can you change the words that you use, even if it's just changing their order? It makes a big difference as to the creation of our reality and as to how we feel in the world and how our words affect others and really how, is, how we feel as a whole society um, and as a planet of human beings. So think about it. And uh, if you feel so inclined, shoot me a message and let me know what you think. All right. Take care. Remember, please subscribe to the podcast on whichever podcast app you're listening on whether that's itunes or spotify um, or soundcloud and if you're on itunes and i think on spotify you can too um, give us a rating that way we can start to build our audience and build our following all right take care everyone i hope everyone's still sa staying safe and well and we'll see you all again soon on the next episode of the blue